excited about the word of the Lord? How many, are you reading the word? We got anybody keeping caught up on your Bible reading? All right, Brother Wilson's ahead. He's, he's out in the front in the pack. I'm, I'm, up, to pa- I'm up to pace. I'm, I think I'm maybe one chapter ahead. <laughs> We're staying right there. But uh, you know I appreciate the word of God. Something about the more you get into it, it will bless you. The problem oftentimes is we don't set a regiment. We need to get regimented, church. I believe that if you and I will set ourselves on a course to study and read the Word of God, it will not only uplift and encourage you, but you're going to be an upliftance and encouragement to others. And you're going to be ready, the Bible says, to give that reason of hope. That reason of hope that's in you, and that's Christ Jesus. And I want to be prepared, don't you? I want to be prepared to be able to give that answer to them who are without. We're going to go tonight to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 6. Proverbs number uh, 6, verses 16 through 19. And there we're going to take our reading tonight from the word of the Lord. Give you a moment to get there. Media's got us set. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse number 16 through including verse number 19. The scripture reads, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Our thought tonight, pride and a proud look. You may be seated. The scripture says, these six things doth the Lord hate. It's hard for us to imagine, once again, the God of love that we read about in 1 John chapter 4, 7-21, through 21, being a God that's also possible for him to hate, knowing that he is a God of love. We've spoken just recently about and referenced Malachi 1.3 and Romans 9.13, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. We've got a pretty good understanding, though we know why that was the case. When we despise spiritual things and carnal things outweigh spiritual things in our lives, that displeases the Lord. And we know that Jacob was seeking after the spiritual and his brother Esau, the carnal. If you want to get on God's bad side, get carnal. Get carnal, because you will displease the Lord. I don't want to be a carnal Christian tonight, church. I want to be living according to the way that God of heaven would want us to live. The Bible says that we're to walk soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We're to deny worldly lust and the filth and flesh. We're to deny these things. Why? They will corrupt you. If you entertain things that are carnal, and that is your 24-7 appetite, my friend, you're not only going to be carnal, you're going to sin. That's plain and simple. What we give ourselves to is what we become. How many remember the old story about the two dogs, that old white dog and that black dog? Remember the story? Remember how that the man that had the two dogs, he would take them out and he would take them to all around and they would, he would, they would have dog fights. This is a story from long ago. And how that 
he would have these two dogs, and they would take bet what dog, what dog was going to win. Of course, the fellow already knew who was going to win. They looked the same. They were just different color. What made it easier for them to choose, you know, who they would think was going to win that dog fight. Well, the owner, what he would do prior to the fight, he would feed the one more, and he would sort of starve the other one. So the other one, though they looked about the same, the other one was weak, and the other was strong. And so the end of the fight was determined by the one who had the most strength. We can relate that to our own walk in God. What we feed and how much we feed, the spiritual man versus the carnal man will be the one that wins. And so for us tonight, it's important for us to maintain that in our minds, in our hearts, what we feed ourselves. But the Lord is speaking here through the man that we call wisdom, Solomon. And he says this, The six things doth the Lord hate, seven are an abomination unto him. That word abomination, first of all, if we get an understanding, it means something disgusting and abhorrence to loathe, detest, abominable. That's the description of this word abomination. So to God, to him, these things are disgusting and abhorrence. He loathes them. He detests them. They're abominable to him. The first one we mentioned we want to focus on tonight is a proud look. A proud look. Now, I've always been told we're to take pride in what we do. How many believe that tonight? I do believe that. I believe whatever our hand finds to do, we're to do it with all of our might and unto the Lord. So we are to do our best job at whatever we do. That type of being proud or having pride in, that's good. That's a healthy pride. But with the pride we're talking about or this proud look tonight we want to get into tonight is a total different thing. This proud look, and I want to define to you, give you an understanding, though you probably already have a good understanding, I think it's vitally important for us to know. The proud part, first of all, proud means to be high, to bring up, exalt self, haughty, set up on, too high. We get an understanding now about proud, and the part, look, it is a fountain as of the eye and of the landscape, an outward appearance and countenance. We put them together, and this is what we can get for description. When it comes to a proud look, together these words describe a person who wants his or hers will, their will, above the will of God and of the will of others. Now I want to read that slowly again. This would describe a person who wants his or her will above the will of God and the will of others. That is a proud look. Generally, we could say this is a person who is full of themselves and are arrogant. That's how we could kind of sum it up. So we kind of get an understanding, and I think now that we have an understanding, I want to go to the Word of the Lord and give us some examples tonight. In fact, four examples I want to list tonight unto us that have upset the Lord. If you want to upset God, number one, we'll read in this passage of Scripture, will well tell us in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 14, and Brother Joel will pull for us tonight. Isaiah 14, it's actually 12 through 15, but I'm just going to read, I'll go ahead and read them all tonight. I was just going to read one verse. But verse number 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken 
the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Did you catch that? I. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Verse 15, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Lucifer, his name, son of the morning, meaning his heart had been lifted in pride. He was lifted in pride. Ezekiel tells us and gives us a description, chapter 28, verses 13 through 18. I just want to read verse 17. Ezekiel 28, 17, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. You see, it was pride and rebellion that made the first sin that we read about in the Scripture. Satan was the first sinner. He sinned against his Creator. We read in the very beginning that God, somewhere before we know, beginning in Genesis, had made the angelical host, the host of heaven. Satan was the, the chief musician. His beauty was like none other. He stood out above all the angels in heaven, his beauty. And if you'll read, it talks about the pipes and the organs. He was a musician. He was very skillful. And we call him the chief musician because the music was his realm. And he was created, church, to worship God. But he said, I. He began to exalt I will exalt myself. I will be like the Most High. I will exalt my throne. And so we find that this pride, this pride, the enemy, Satan, the adversary of our soul, become the first sinner. He was booted out of heaven. He deceived nearly one-third of the host of heaven and went with him and was cast down to this earth. He has become the God with a small g of this world, and this is his domain. And his constant battle is to try to deceive you and me. His goal, he knows he's damned. He knows he's bound for hell. He knows he has no chance of redemption. So what does he want to do? He wants to take you with him. I've determined tonight, how about you? I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to stand on the word of God. And I want by God's grace to be pleasing unto him. The only way we can do that is keep things in check. That's why we want to emphasize and we want to study about this terrible sin, this abomination in the eyes of God called pride and a proud look. And so Satan is number one. Number two takes us to the first created man made by God. Adam, made from the very dust of the ground. God, breathing into him the breath of life made him a living soul. Eve, was Adam, when he was put to sleep, was taken from his side, a rib, and Eve was made, and God made Adam a helpmeet. They were placed in the garden, and in that garden it was a beautiful paradise. I, I, I don't know, I, I've tried and tried to think about what it must have looked like, the beauty, 
and probably won't even do it justice in my own mind. Maybe you've tried as well. But it was a beautiful paradise God had placed them in. He only required them to, and Adam was given charge to be caretaker of the garden. All he had to do was take care of the garden. He named all the creatures that were there that God had made. And Adam's job was just to take care, but God told him just one thing. Stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that tree of life. Stay away from that, Adam. The day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so sometime in between, we find that due to disobedience and pride, we find that man had sinned again. In Genesis chapter number 3, verses 3 through 6, and we're just going to read verse number 5, Adam and Eve sinned. And this is the servant speaking to Eve. He said, For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now to someone that didn't know what evil was, and only was surrounded by good, that might be enticing just to, I want to know, a curious mind. But my thinking goes to what the enemy said, you'll be as gods. You're going to know things. And so right away he went to that part of Eve that stirred something in her. Well, huh, I wonder if God's been holding back on us. I wonder if there's something that there's more out there. And a, a curiosity had been created in the heart of Eve. And unfortunately, something was stirred within her. That disobedience and that pride, I want to know more. I want to... He said, be as gods. And something was stirred in the heart of that first woman. And so she looked at the fruit. It looked good. She took a bite. She didn't die. She didn't die. Oh, God must have been mistaken. So she gives to her husband. And after Adam had ate and took a bite, their eyes were open. And they realized they had sinned. They realized they had sinned. The enemy, what he'll do, he'll do, he'll draw you in and get you looking at something. If he can get you to focus your eyes on something, that's all he has to do. Then he works on your heart. And the more you look on it, the more he works on your heart. And before long, you'll find yourself, your curiosity, if you're not careful, will get the best of you. And before you know it, the sin of disobedience has come your way. And so we find that it was through pride and disobedience that the second sin, and they were cast out of that beautiful garden, and curses were pronounced upon the serpent, the woman, and the man. The serpent at one time had walked on feet, apparently. The Bible said he was more subtle than any creature. He was, he was smooth. He was slick. No wonder the adversary got into that serpent. He knew it would be an eye-catcher. The enemy knows what catches each and every one of you, your eyes. He knows the things that make you tick. Those will be the things he'll use to try to tear you down with. That's why we've got to build ourselves up. And the only way to do that is stay in the Word of God. And remember, don't let pride get in your heart. Don't allow pride to grip your hearts tonight. Pride is a deception. Pride will deceive you. You see, we talked about a healthy pride, and that's about doing a good job. But when you begin to think, 
Let's go the next step. Yeah, I did a pretty good job. I did a better job than what he does. He can't do as good as me. I've got this mastered. I am the master. You see the difference? You see the difference? There's nothing wrong with being having pride in what you do, doing a good job, and be satisfied with it. But when you exalt yourself above others, when you begin to think of yourself more than what you are, my friend, you're in shaky, shaky territory. And so the adversary of our soul, he showed us the first example of sin. Adam and Eve shows us a second. The third I want to go to tonight is found in the book of Esther, chapter number 3, verse 5. In Esther 3, 5, we're going to talk about a man whose name was Haman. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. You see, pride was in this man to the fullest. Pride had gripped this man's heart. He was the king's right-hand man. He was second only to the king. Ahasuerus, he was second only to him. He had been given the ring of the king. And everyone was to bow before him. But there was a man named Mordecai who was a Jew, who believed that hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one. He believed that there was only one to bow before, and that was God Almighty. And when Haman, in his arrogance and pride, would come around, Mordecai would stand proudly. He would not bow, because there was only one he would bow before, and that was God. And when Haman saw this man, and this is what arrogance will do, this is what pride would do. Hatred filled his heart because the man wouldn't bow before him. And that hatred turned to murder, church. It turned to murder. And Haman sought to, and he found out that he was Jew, he sought to annihilate every Jew. Think about that. He wanted to destroy a nation of people because one man who was a Jew would not bow before him. Now that's pride to the fullest, wouldn't you say? That's arrogance to the fullest. And so he did. He had the authority. He had the position. And he went to the king. And the king, unknowingly as we are well aware of what taken place, may I say God will take care of his children. God will take care of you and I. You may be found in a position that's very unfavorable, as the Jews were. I mean, you cannot get much more unfavorable than knowing that you have been put on the block and that your life, it's law. You can be hunted down and killed, and your property, your goods taken to whoever kills you. So what would that do? That would make a greedy population definitely want to take you out. They're thinking, man, they've got everything... I'll sure I'll kill them, and I'll take everything God. The law says I can do it. When laws go that far, my friend, that's a perverted judgment, and that's an abomination as well. Shedding of innocent blood, one of the abominations that we read about tonight. And so we know what took place. God intervened through this Queen Esther, who also being a Jewess, goes before the king and petition after fasting and prayer and with the nation... Fasting, pray. You see the importance of prayer and fasting? You see the importance of what it sometimes, listen, 
We cannot, we dare not take the mindset, it'll work out, it'll come out in the wash. If you hold that mindset, my friend, you're going to be sorely disappointed. These kind of things just don't come out in the wash. It only takes for the church, it only takes for God's children to be silent for a little while, and evil prevails. But when the church of God begins to pray, and the church of God begins to magnify Him, and begins to exalt Him, and will seek Him with our whole heart, we'll push the plate aside, and we'll get the carnal man out of the way. We're going to hear from heaven. How many wants to hear from heaven tonight? Absolutely, I want to hear from heaven. I want to hear from God. And by doing so, may I also add, when we fast and pray, it keeps pride from rooting our hearts. Mm -hmm. It'll keep pride from getting a hold of you. It'll keep you, it'll keep your heart. It'll help you love your brother. It'll help you love your sister. It'll help you love your neighbor. It'll even help you love your enemy. Now that one's a test, isn't it? But isn't that what Jesus said? We're to love our enemies. It's easy to love a friend, a brother, a sister, mother. It's easy to love someone that loves us. But your test comes when you love your enemies and pray for them that despitefully use you. The Lord has blessed me several times over with that opportunity. And He may bless you as well. If you want to prove faithful to God, show how to love your enemies. Do good to them that have done evil to you. Bless them that have cursed you. And let God take care of them. You know, the Bible says that when we do the right thing, the Scripture says we heap coals of fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God knows how to do it if we'll just follow and obey His Word. Keep pride out of the way. Keep self out of the way. And God can work. He will work. And so we know that God handled it. And in the end, the Jews triumphed because prayer and fasting was made and God had intervened through a queen and a people who called on His name. That's our God, our God who delivers. Number four tonight takes us through our Bible reading. Number four we want to read about in Exodus chapter 5, verse number 2. God had purposely made this man whom he was. He made him with a heart so hard there was none like him. When I read these passages of Scripture, man, that is one hard heart to endure what that man put up with. But God made him with a hard heart because his pride was so great. You know, uh, you may be aware of this, but I'll just throw it in there. Pharaohs were thought of, and they felt as themselves as a god. A god. They had many gods, but Pharaoh himself was considered a god. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God would teach. God will teach anybody, and he would certainly teach this Pharaoh. In Exodus 5, 2, and Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice <laughs> to let Israel go. Mm, would he ever find out? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. We read in this one verse three times, 
Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Does that sound familiar? It sure does. It sounds very familiar. Ten plagues would come. You can read, and we've, you've, you've been catching up in your Bible reading. You should have already read through this. Uh, if not, get caught up. But you'll read about these plagues, and, it, and I'm just going to make reference tonight. In Exodus 7, 12 through 14, we read, first of all, God gets the attention by showing his power. And that rod that he said to Moses from the burning bush, watching your hand throw to the ground, that became a serpent, and it scared Moses, and it would not likely scare all of us. Uh, and he gets away from it, but God says, no, go pick it up by the tail, and he does. He says, you take that rod with you, and those miracles, I'm going to work through that rod, and Aaron's going to speak for you. We all make, Moses made excuses, we all do. Hey, how can I, how can I go before Pharaoh? I'm slow of speech. I got a stuttering impediment. I, I, I'm not eloquent in speaking. All right, Moses, I'm going to send Aaron, your brother. He's going to go speak for you. I'm going to be to you. You're going to be to Pharaoh a God, and your brother's going to be that prophet. You're going to speak to him what I give to you, and then he's going to show it and speak it to Pharaoh. And so we find here tonight, through this man, the plagues that would take place, we read in Exodus 7, 17 through 28, about that water, that river. Do you know that that was also worshipped by the Egyptians? That river was life to them, and the things of the river, they reverenced that river. They bathed, they got their water and everything, and so water was life, and God would test first, and that water was turned to blood. Secondly, in Exodus 8, 1 through 15, frogs. I understand correctly that they had a God and a man's body with a frog's head. God was going to show them, wasn't he? Because he sent frogs into their land. Frogs that were in their bedchambers. It got in their bedrooms, in their beds. It got in the, even where they baked their bread. The bread troughs. Now think about the frog. Now that's pretty nasty. Now I've ate frog legs. They're pretty good. But uh, you know, now maybe for some of you, you might not like them, but they're not bad. But I sure wouldn't want frogs all in my house. I wouldn't want frogs where my food is. That's pretty nasty. So God sent the frogs, and each time, of course, he tells Moses, get rid of the frogs. Oh, hey, I'll tell you, you know, yep, get rid of them, and I'll let the people go. Sure, I will. He lied. He lied. Exodus 8, 16 through 19, then God sent lice. And then we find here, it says that God hardened his heart. Now, he already had a hard heart. God has hardened this man's heart. He said and he hardened his heart. Once again, he lies. Exodus 8, 21 to 32, God sent flies. Now, I'm telling you, I cannot stand a fly. I don't know about you, but when I think of a fly, I know where he's been. And when I think him landing on my face, that does not please me. If, I'm, if I am so tired, I can't understand, I will get out of bed and hunt that rascal down. But God sent flies all through the land, everywhere, surrounded. Just imagine talking, open your mouth, and flies going in your mouth, going up your nose, in your ears. Okay, that gives you a picture, doesn't it? That gives you a picture. Flies. Once again, Moses, okay, you know, I'll let the people go. 
And the Lord got rid of the flies. There was not, the Bible says, not one fly left in Egypt. Not, now that's saying something. Not one fly to be found when God did it. That you know God's in it, all right? But he lied again. He lied again. And so then we read in Exodus 9, 3 through 7, then God sent a plague on the cattle of Egypt. All the cattle of Egypt died. And once again, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart had become hardened. So then in Exodus 9, 8 through 12, we read about that dust was thrown and boils formed. Boils. Ooh. Now, up until this point, the magicians of Pharaoh, his sorcerers, were able to mimic some of the things that Moses and Aaron was performing. And Pharaoh's heart just got hard. He thought, well, this is just a showmanship here. You know, my, my enchanters can do the same thing. But we read here when these boils came, they got their portion and probably a little more. His sorcerers, his magicians, his men couldn't even appear before Pharaoh because the boils were so sore on them. If you ever had one boil, I've had them a few times, and man, they flat out hurt. They itch till you touch them, and then they're like painful. They had boils all their bodies. And then we find God hardened his heart again. Exodus 9.18, God sent hail. How many's ever been in a hailstorm? Anybody in here? Yeah. Some of us been in a hailstorm. I remember one time, Brother Wilson, I don't know, my brother, and maybe John, I don't know if, if Brother Joel was with us. We went fishing at the Case Pond. Remember Brother Wilson years ago? And I kid you not, we looked in the sky. You remember Brother Wilson? It was green, and we had, a, we had about a, almost a mile trek from that pond back to that house in the car. And, man, we were catching fish, so I was torn in between. I thought, man, I'm catching fish, but I seen that sky. and We better get out of here. And Brother Wilson said, that's hail. And we know sooner I got back, and that hail started coming down. Friend, if you're caught out in some hail, it will beat the snot out of you. I'm telling you, you have a knotted head. Well, this hail was going to be a grievous hail like it had never been seen before. So intense. And this is just me thinking, because we, 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 we don't know. It only tells us so much. This grievous hail, we've heard of hail size of a baseball and a softball. This must have been some pretty big hail because it said cattle or people out in the field. He, he warned them. He said, if they're out in the field, they're going to die. They're going to die. And those Egyptians that took heed, they brought their servants and cattle in. But those that didn't died. They died. But it wasn't just the hail. God sent a fire on the ground, the Scripture said. I imagine that was an electrical storm like none other. The lightning must have been so severe. What the hell didn't kill, the lightning did. And it was so severe, it was so severe that Pharaoh said, I have sinned. He said, I have sinned. That got his attention. Moses just pray. Moses said, all right, as soon as I get out of the city, I'll lift my hands and God will take it away. And when he did, what happened? Pharaoh's heart got hard again. Exodus 10, 4 through 20, God then sent locusts, and what the hail did not destroy, those locusts ate everything. The locusts, the Bible said, was so thick, church, it covered the ground and you couldn't see. It was black. The sky was black with them. Now that is intense. The Scripture said like had never been before nor would ever be. The locusts ate everything. There was nothing left. There was nothing left alive. 
the plants, tree, it, it was, they consumed it all. And once again, since for Moses, I have sinned, God's teaching. See what pride will do. See what pride will do. See what a hard heart will do. He said, I have sinned. Then he lied again. He lied again. Wouldn't let God's people go. Then in Exodus 10, 21 through 22, God sent a darkness that could be felt. Now, I've tried to understand this. It must have been such a darkness to the point that it was almost eerie. The Egyptians were very superstitious. They worshipped many gods. And to them, I, I'm trying to think in my mind, it would be like being in the midst of a graveyard. How many of you ever been late at night around a graveyard? I, I know it's dead. <laughs> I know that. I know that. But our minds play tricks, don't they? Your mind will play tricks. And that's what the enemy does. He works on your mind. He works on your mind. And he worked on the Egyptians' minds. And it was so intense. It was so intense for them that they couldn't understand it. it. It was like they're driving them crazy. And so once again, he said, I've sinned. Yeah. But God hardened his heart. He said, no, I'm not letting them go. Finally, the Lord would send the very last, and we'll read tonight in Exodus chapter number 11, verse 1 and 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Verse 10, And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Drop down with me now to verse number 29 of chapter number 12 of Exodus, Exodus 12, 29. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that were in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. In verse 30, Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. We could say the reward of pride and a proud look was truly answered in this, because pride in its end will bring death. If not in the natural body, it will lead to the second death, which is greatest of all. And that is hellfire. That is hellfire for eternity. That's what pride will do. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. The most wise choice we could ever make tonight, church, is I'm coming to a close, that we get born again of water and spirit, that we live according to the Word of God, a life that pleases Him. In Ecclesiastes, it says, verse, chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, I want to read for you. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, and with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil, Every secret thing God will bring into judgment.
It reminds us that nothing will get by our God who sees and knows all. God knows our hearts, every one of us tonight in this house. He knows whether your heart right now is right with him or not. God knows tonight right now if your heart is ready to meet him, if he would come right now. But we've got to make decisions and choices tonight, church. And that is we've got to seek God with our whole hearts. The Bible says that we're to work out our own salvation when that with fear and trembling. This is a serious thing. We've got to make sure we not only get our hearts right, being born again, as the Apostle Peter said in Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for their mission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We've got to be born again, like Jesus said in John 3.5, as Peter preached at Pentecost in Acts 2.38, and the promise, he said in verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children, to them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But the greatest tragedy of all is when we decline the invitation of God and we allow our flesh and we allow its pride to grip us, to motivate us, and we live a life full of pride and self-centeredness. The most unhappy people in this life are people who are self-centered that it's all about me. Pride has gripped them that nothing else matters but what makes me happy. Nothing else matters but what is for my good. Pride, arrogance, it's an abomination in the eyes of God. If you want to be a God pleaser, get rid of pride. Get rid of the pride that is an abomination in the eyes of God and get a love in your heart one for another. Get a love in your heart for the Word of God, the house of God, and God's people. I want to say this tonight in closing. This love of God is not just for you and I, for each other. But this is to love your black brother, your Hispanic brother, your red brother, your yellow brother. Because if we cannot love these, then we cannot truly say we love God. Love covers the multitude of sin. Love does. That love is a love that we get in our heart that roots out pride. It roots out that arrogance. It roots out the things that displease God, and we get a heart that pleases Him. If you want revival, you've got to have love. If you want revival, you've got to have unity. If you want revival, church, tonight, We've got to get a heart that seeks after the heart of our God. Church, I want a heart tonight. How about you? I want a heart tonight that's seeking after God. So let's avoid, let's get rid of, let's root out any kind of pride and that proud look. A humble and a contrite spirit. That will he will not despise. That's what God will accept. So tonight, if you want to be accepted of God, be humble Keep your spirit right, and you'll please God. Could we stand?